Have you ever heard the phrase, it's not fair? Or have you ever said that? I remember as a youngster, I was saying that a lot to my dad when my older brother could go out and get a job and not have to work in the gas station, but I had to stay there. Nor did I think it was fair that they could buy a car and I couldn't just because they were of age to drive and I wasn't. My own kids, they came up with that idea. It's not fair that we have to share bedrooms. It's not fair that we can't ride the bike as far as so-and-so. It's not fair. It's not fair. Oh, it happens all the time. And even for some of us right now, that battle is going on. It's not fair that we can't go and do things like we used to be able to do. It's not fair that my graduation this year has been upset and other people had graduations. It's not fair that we can't do weddings right now the same way we did other weddings. It's not fair that I don't going to be able to go to work, but so-and-so can go to work. We hear that a lot. It's not fair. It comes up in the Bible as well. In the story, the Matthew chapter 20 is where I want you to join me this morning as we talk about a text where some of the people said it's not fair. And it's not only people that have that problem. It was interesting. I want to show you a video here, a clip here in a second. There was a study done on by behavioralists about how different creatures respond when they're treated differently. In this experiment that was done back in 2014, they had two of these capuchin monkeys, and what they did is they regularly fed them some of the uh, different vegetables that they're going to give here that is the normal type of response that they get, the feeding, the reward for the task that they do. But this time, they change it up. Instead of the regular, I think it's a cucumber that they give regularly, this time they're going to add something different. They're going to give one of them a grape. Let's see exactly what happens as we watch the video. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. <laughs> she tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. unhappy about the idea that they didn't get what the other animal got. Does that look like us? Matthew chapter 20. Want to join me there? Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at a parable starting with verse 1 down to verse 16. Let me set the scene and then we'll read the parable. The story comes up while Jesus is ministering. So we have to back up a little bit and get the entire context. He's preaching to a great crowd of people. And while he's preaching, all of a sudden the rich young ruler comes. You know that story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus in verse 16 and he says... Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus responds to him and says, you, you need to be perfect. need to keep all of God's words perfectly, all the commandments. And the rich young ruler in pride and arrogance says that I have lived this. I have done this since I was a child where he makes that comment where he says, all these things that I have kept, verse 20, from my youth up, I don't lack anything. 
There's nothing that I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm perfect in everything. Jesus responds and says, okay, if that's the case, then let's test you to see if you're as charitable as the Word of God says. Give all that you have to the poor. And then we read the next verse, that he went away sorrowful. Why is that? For he had great possessions. Jesus just revealed he wasn't as perfect as what he thought. And that leads Jesus to make this observation where Jesus then comments to his disciples, Verily I say, or truly I say unto you, a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples, they are surprised by Jesus' comment. Because in that day, being wealthy equated to being blessed of God. In fact, they're not the only ones. When you look at pictures of people going into heaven, in the paintings from the Middle Ages and all, it's always the nobility, the rich. It seems like they are the ones that everybody suspects they're going to be the ones to be able to get into heaven with the quickest and the soonest. And so the disciples are surprised and they say, well, if that's the case, who can get saved? If the rich people who can support the ministry, who can give charitably. If they can't get to heaven, then who can? And Jesus responds after the disciples. And by the way, remember that the disciples, when they're speaking, they're amazed at that. And Jesus, beholding them, verse 26, he pauses. He looks at them. And then after he pauses and stares, he says, basically, no one can get into heaven by themselves. It is only by the work of God that people get into heaven. Amen, amen, we say. We understand that and we fully agree with that because that's what the rest of Scripture teaches, that none of us deserve to get into heaven or can buy our way into heaven or by our good works or our charitable deeds. It has to be by faith in Jesus Christ because we fall so short in our goodness and our good works. We are sinners and as sinners are even our good works that come out of pride, they're as filthy rags before God. He wants us to come with repentance and humility. And so that's the teaching of Jesus. But he's going to have another conversation that kind of takes off from here. Peter speaks for the group. And Peter, remember the rich man, Jesus had said, give all that you have and follow me, but he went away sorrowful. Based on that, Peter responds and says, "Uh, Lord, unlike that rich man, we have forsaken all and we have been following you, which is true. They've been doing it now for these past months and months and months, following the Lord. And so he asks the question, what shall we have therefore? What's the reward? what's, what's, What's in this for me? And Jesus responds to him and assures them that they are going to be rewarded where he says, Verily I say unto you, verse 28, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, or in that future time of refreshing, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of glory, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You're going to be credited. You're going to be sitting close to me in the kingdom renewal. But then he goes on and says, they are not the only ones. And every one that has forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. So in this life as well as the next, I will reward all those who serve me, who sacrifice for me. But then Jesus makes this comment, and it starts with a but, verse 30, where he says that comment, many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Whoa, what an interesting statement. What did he mean by that? Well, 
Obviously, he's telling them, I'm going to reward differently than people think I should reward. In fact, those who are often overlooked, they will be rewarded. Those who didn't hold positions, they will still be acknowledged and may hold positions in my kingdom. And so he's making it very clear, very clear to these disciples, the way you expect things to be worked out or rewarded, it may not work the way you think. And the people that you would overlook, I won't overlook. To explain that further, he then gives this parable at that moment. Follow along what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, that is, um, not our penny, but the denarius of that day, uh, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and that would be about nine o'clock in the morning, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give to you. They went their way. And he went out about the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and said to them, <coughs> Why stand ye here idle all day? They said, Because no man has hired us. He said unto them, Oh, go also into the vineyard. Whatsoever is right, that shall you receive." And so when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, Call all the laborers and give them their hire. However, begin from the last unto the first. And when they came, they were hired, uh, they were hired about the eleventh hour. They received a penny, a denarius, a day's wage. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received much more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last servants have wrought but one hour, and you have made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for me for a penny? Take what is yours and go your way. I will give unto this last, even as unto you. Is it not lawful for me to do with what I will with my own? Is your eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many are called but few are chosen. Interesting story. One that would probably get the disciples really thinking, what does he mean? So for you and I, in order to dissect this, this parable, let's do it this way. We'll talk about the opportunity of the, that has provided the laborers, the generosity of the landowner. We're going to look at the tendency of the laborers. We'll talk about the credibility of the landowner. And then at last, we're going to talk about the authority of the landowner. And so we set the scene, make sure that we all understand what I just read. Wealthy landowner has a vineyard ready to be harvested. He needs a lot of extra workers than, than his normal household workers to get the job done as quickly as possible. 6 a.m. goes out, has a contract set up with some of the laborers, work for a penny a day at Denarius. Three hours uh, later, he comes at 9 a.m., hires some more, and then he does the same thing at 12 noon, at 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock in the day, he hires people as well and tells them, I will give you what, what is proper. And then at the end of the day, about 6 p.m., he's going to settle up with everybody. 
And so when we look at the parable, let's just set the scene so we understand. In this, it shows us how it goes with God working, God rewarding individuals. The landowner, we obviously know who that is going to be. That's going to be the Lord, the Father in heaven. The laborers are going to be the followers. In fact, Peter has already said, you know, what is our reward? That starts this whole parable. And Jesus expands it. Everyone that forsakes father, mother, and everything, for me, they'll be rewarded. And so the laborers are the followers of Christ. They work in God's service in some way. Some way, whatever that ministry may be in modern days, whether that be teaching the kids or giving out the word or raising your family, whatever, come, whatever ministry God has given you in his vineyard, in getting out his word. He's saying that I will give some of these rewards. And so let's look first at the opportunity of the laborers, just as it's told in this parable, the opportunity for them to be able to labor is initiated by the Lord, the landowner. The opportunity is great because there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. In fact, he needs many laborers. And he keeps on going out and getting more and more laborers. So there's no end to this work as time goes by. There's a lot to be done. And so he goes out and hires individuals. He doesn't hire specialists. He hires day laborers, common folk, who are able to do that work in the field. And yet at the end of uh, at the, the needs of this, lay, this harvest, they give a sense of urgency. Got to get this done. Need more workers. Got to get this done. There's a lot to be done. So I'll even get more workers and more workers and more workers. But then it comes to an end. Eventually the harvest time comes to an end and there's going to be payday at that moment. Now, just taking it, do you see any parallels between you and me serving God? Do you see any parallels in opportunities for serving God? The parallel that so clearly says we are privileged to be able to serve the Lord in his vineyard that he puts us, but it's only because he allows us to. He invites us to. He initiated the opportunity to, for you and me to serve. He initiated it by share, getting the word to us and the spirit convicting us and we respond and then he helps us to grow and he's working. And so we get the privilege to opportunity and there's so much to be done in the Lord's work. And it keeps on going from generation to generation that he keeps on seeking after laborers. And he doesn't look for specialists only. He looks for common folk like you and me. He looks, like, looks for everyday people that can labor in his ministry, do his work. And because the harvest is ripe, there's an urgency on the part of the landowner to get this thing done, to come on, let's do it. But one day there's going to be an end. One day we're going to stop having opportunities to service in this life and we're going to stand before the Lord. Those are the opportunities of the laborers. Then, in this story, as well as you and me right now, that leads us to the other one, the generosity of the landowner. The generosity is seen by the fact that he allows people to work in his fields. The generosity is seen that he agrees to give them a decent wage. Understand back in that culture that when we talk about that penny a day, that penny a day was typically a day's wage for soldiers, professional soldiers. It was the day's wage for those who were typically tradesmen, the individuals who had some skill set, the carpenter, people, people who could do some specified, specific labor, work, something of that sort, and yet he is offering that common day's wage that is for the professional, the middle class, he's giving it to field hands. 
People who don't have a regular job working for some master or some landowner. People that just kind of go down in the middle of the town and wait to see if something comes up. People that don't have any skill set that is really phenomenal. They're just going to be field hands, field workers at that point, And he agrees to give them the same wage that a professional would get in that time. A professional soldier, a professional carpenter. Very generous on the part of the landowner to give to these people who basically he could have given them even less and they would have been happy rather than nothing. And so you have this, this whole agreement that's going to end up that they all get paid the same wage. That's going to create a problem. But before we look at that, do you see any parallels between God's generosity then in this story and his generosity to you and me? The generosity that he gives us, you know, the opportunity to serve, the generosity that he's going to give crowns. And it's not just to the specialist. The crowns can go to anyone who is working hard in the field. Any individual, male, female, young, old, who is dedicating their life to Jesus Christ. He's saying, I can use any of you and I will reward any of you because you have been working in my vineyard. And so Jesus Christ very clearly is giving us the underlying fact that there's an opportunity for all. It's only by the grace of God and the generosity of God which leads us to the tendency of the laborers. The tendency of the laborers in verse 9 through 13 that we already read is very clearly seen at the end of the day. 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whenever, he's got them all lined up, and he tells his steward, reverse payment. I want to teach something, so reverse payment, and I'm going to start with those who just started working the last hour or two. And they receive, and by the way, they were never told, look at the story, they weren't told a specific amount of money. The only ones who agreed to a price were the very first ones hired. After that, it's basically, what is fair, I will give you. What is reasonable, I will give you. I will be good to you. And so these fellows come to get their wages, and they get settled up. And when they get their wages, they end up getting a day's wage. Well, those, by the time the, the line gets to the very end, the last ones to get paid or the first ones who worked all day, they assume because the others got a penny, a day's wage, that they would get more. In fact, in their minds, they deserve more because they've worked in the heat of the day. They put out more labor, and their response when they get the penny, the day's wage that they agreed to, their response is they murmur. This is one of those words that you might call an onomatopoeia, that, that it sounds like in the original exactly what it describes. You know, like gulp sounds like a gulp. Sizzle sounds like something sizzling. This idea of that they're murmuring. They're gegeguza. You know, they're, they're grumbling within their throat that they're saying, this isn't right. This isn't fair that you're doing this. Because the others were getting wages that we think we deserve much more than they got. So... Do you see any parallels that ever happen amongst the laborers? People getting jealous what others get? People getting upset? In fact, what's really ironic is Jesus tells this story and just verses later when the James and John, one part of the 12, go to Jesus and say, can we sit at your thrones? Watch the result in verse, the response of everybody else, verse 24. And when the 10 heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. Can even a group 
of close followers of Christ have some jealousy go on between them because somebody is getting more recognition than me? Does that ever happen when it doesn't seem fair? Yeah, there, some will take this story and they will say, well, wait a minute, this story is teaching about salvation, getting into heaven. I struggle with that because the people laboring are getting rewarded based on their labors. But their, their, their application is still true. The application is God will save souls even if they wait until the last hour to repent of their sin. But some get upset by that teaching. It doesn't seem fair. I got saved when I was in my teens and 20s. That person waited until they're in their 70s and they didn't live for the Lord, but they get to heaven when they can get saved late in life. That's true. It's true. Grace is still going to save that individual. God's goodness is still going to save them. There is no time frame that God says you have to get saved by such and such an age or it's too late for you to get saved. And yet some get upset over that teaching. They just don't think it's fair that the thief on the cross gets to go into heaven when he didn't live for Christ the way others did. Some get jealous over this. Why are others blessed more than me? They get a nicer house. They get a nicer car. They get a better, better income. They have a better pension plan. And yet they don't serve the Lord the way I serve the Lord in the church. They don't study as much as I study. And I deserve better than this. I, you know, those individuals, they have better health than I have. And I don't think it's fair, God. There are some who get upset over positions and opportunities. They, they become jealous that some individual may have all of a sudden, they get asked to do a solo. They get jealous that somebody else is asked to serve on some type of a group or to teach some class. And they feel that that's just not fair. I am more dedicated to God than that individual. I, I, I have this or that skill set. I deserve better recognition than that person. There may be some who get upset over this. They get upset that they've raised their kids They've, they've tried to instill the scriptures and their kids aren't serving the Lord. Their kids have gone off from serving Christ. And they're, they're almost jealous and upset to hear others give testimonies about their kids and their grandkids living for the Lord. And it just doesn't seem fair. I probably was a better parent than them. And I would have done things different than I see them do. And my kids aren't following the Lord. And the Lord is just not fair. It's not reasonable, and I don't understand why my kids aren't more spiritual when I deserve them to be because of all my investments. There are some who get upset over not being able to do the same as others. We, we announced, and I sincerely apologize for this, but there's nothing that's, that, that seems more reasonable. We have canceled our summer teen missions trips that we're not doing with the teens this summer. We don't want to get over overseas and then find out that something, a flare-up of the epidemic, would all of a sudden cause them to shut down and, like happened to our missionaries who came to the States, they couldn't get out of the country. They had to, we would have to stay there for an extra period of time. It doesn't seem reasonable to travel there and have to be quarantined for two weeks when we only have one week in the country. And so common sense says, and for safety, we need to back down at this point. And same as traveling multiple distance. And if we're doing it for two groups, then we'll just be across the board. We, we won't do those ministries this summer. And I don't like that decision. I don't like the decision we didn't have a missions conference. 
But some may now be responding and saying, well, that's not fair. The others got to do it. The, 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 you know, this isn't fair that my graduation isn't the same as the previous generation's. Or I can't finish the grade and we were looking for certain things you know, at school that all of a sudden we can't do. It's not fair when it comes to the job and, and in the business. And it's not fair when, when you know, it comes that we can't enter a certain facility and we, that's our favorite restaurant. And it just doesn't seem fair. You know, that some get to do certain things and we can't. And so, God, we don't understand what you're doing. Some, yeah, could, could there become Judgment Day, Bema Seat? Some are going to be standing there and saying, it's not fair, they get more crowns than I do. Well, human nature, human tendency, will lead us to think that this is a problem. This is a problem in this time, as this story, problem for the disciples, and what, ad, what the re, landowner responds is very interesting. Friend. He isn't angry. He isn't upset. He just says, friend, those of you that came at 6 a.m., I didn't do you wrong. I, I didn't do anything unrighteous. Um, you thought that the day's wage was very generous, and you agreed to it. And just because you're jealous by me being generous to others... You think that's appropriate? Go your way. Jealousy, as he says, basically the conclusion is, your eye is evil just because I'm generous. Jealousy is evil. Upsetness with others is not right. And Jesus makes it very clear in the story, which brings us to the credibility of the landowner. The landowner makes it very clear in his comments, friend, where he says... I do you no wrong. Did you not agree with, with me for a penny? Jesus is illustrating very clearly that God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. God, this is what you agreed to. This is what I agreed to. We were very happy with the arrangement until you saw somebody getting a little bit more, getting ahead of you. Then you get upset. But I haven't cheated you. I have given you exactly what you, and by the way, you were the only group that agreed to this. The point is, I'm not wrong. I am not sinful in this. I did not do anything wrong. God always keeps his word. God will never shortchange any of us. There's a lesson here. That we ought not to be upset with God's blessings upon other people's lives. God will keep his words to us. He will bless us accordingly and not shortchange us. That brings us again to the final thought. The authority of the landowner. The authority is very clear because the landowner makes this clear. And this brings it all together. The landowner says, verse 14, Take what is yours, go, go. I will give unto the last, even as unto you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with what belongs to me? Is your eye evil because I am generous? His point is this, okay? I can do with what I want. I can bless who I want to bless. The authority or the sovereignty of the landowner is very clear in this passage. God can bless as much as he wants. And God can do what he wants. And God can give or take from us if he wants. Our God is one who can allow things into our lives or not allow them into our lives and let others have that. He's God. 
That's the whole point of the story. God is God. Everything belongs to him. Everything, including you and me, is his to do as he wishes with. And so he makes it very clear as he wraps up, the first shall be last, the last first. You don't think this way, but I am in control. I will be generous, not the way you think it should be done, but the way that I know is best for those individuals. And on top of that, I will be fair in the sense that I will always keep my word and I will be generous to individuals. Putting it all together. Let me see if I can bring it in this thought. God is always generous. God is always generous in his dealings with us. He was generous to those who came at the last hour. He was generous to those who worked all day. He gave them more than they deserved. He gave them a better wage than is the typical day's rate. Extremely generous. Has God been generous to you? Yeah. Yeah. Has God been generous to us as a, as a group? Absolutely. He is always generous. He is generous enough that he forgives us our sins. He is generous enough that he gives us friends, family, the word of God. He gives us opportunity to be able to communicate like this. He is very generous. There's not a one of us who can say that God has kept from me so that I have been the poorest of the poor, that I have been the least of the least in this life because I have been, God has withheld from me. He hasn't. He has abundantly shown his generosity to each and every one of us in this life as well as in the spiritual life. Our God is generous. Our God is always good. Our God is always good in that whatever he does, whatever he treats us, it's not evil. It's not, it's not something that is, that is unrighteous. He is always generous to us. He is always good in his dealings with us. Proper. That is doing righteousness. Not sinning against us in any way, shape, or form. Our God is generous. Our God is good. Our God alone governs. He is in control. He is in charge. He determines who can be entrusted with this, who can be entrusted with that. He alone knows who needs this, who needs that. He alone knows what is best for us, and he governs accordingly. So our God is always generous. Our God is always good. Our God all is the only one who governs and who can make the determinations, and he does in a right sense. So with those thoughts, what should we do? How do we respond? Number one, we need to be honest. We need to be honest before God that what we get, what we have, what we experience is really by grace. It is only by grace. We don't merit anything. We don't deserve anything except for punishment for our sins, except for chastisement for our selfishness, except for rebuke for our jealousies. We need to be honest to say, you know what? What gifts he's given me are not the same as he's given somebody else. But even then, it's only by grace that I have one gift. They might have a hundred, but it's by grace I have one. It's by grace that I have what possessions I have. Do I deserve much more? No. It's only by grace. Be honest. Be honest before the Lord. And then number two, be happy. 
Be happy for those who God blesses. Be happy for those individuals who have been given different talents, different opportunities. Instead of jealousy, be thankful that they were able to do things differently than the, the limitations you have. Be happy in the sense that you are rejoicing in God blessing them, in God giving them opportunities. And by the way, with, with great opportunities, there comes a lot of responsibilities. Be happy. Be happy for what God gives you. Contentment. Contentment in the sense that you're happy that, yes, it's not the same. It's not as fancy or it's not as loud or it's not as much. But God has given to me because God is generous and I don't deserve any of it. Then do this. Be hardworking. Be hardworking. What I mean by that is get busy in the fields. He asked several times, why stand you idle? Why stand you idle? Be busy in the fields. Get involved serving this God who is good, who is gracious, who gives you the opportunity. Give him your best. Give him your skill set. Give him the glory he deserves. Not jealous, but be joyful in God's goodness, greatness, and the governing that he has in your life. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to hear your word, for allowing us to hear the gospel. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us to be able to get taught the word of God. We thank you for the many, many blessings that you give us day by day, hour by hour, of being able to have, uh, have opportunities to move about, to go about. Help us, Father. Help us not to be jealous individuals. Help us to be individuals who are content with what you have given us. Help us to be individuals who are rejoicing in your many blessings without looking for even more for the greener side of the, of, across the fence. Help us, Father, to be individuals who are rejoicing in the blessings that you give to others instead of finding fault in them, instead of being critical. Help us to rejoice that they've got a promotion that they've got the race, they've got the opportunities. Help us as individuals, Father, to be a good witness, a good testimony of your grace. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being generous to us. Thank you for the fact that we know you are governing. Help us to curb our mouths, our attitudes, our tendencies for jealousy. And help us to rejoice in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.